I'm Miriam Samuelson-Roberts, and this is Alter Guild Season 3, where we are talking about who we are at our core. Before we get started, I wanted to lift up a resource, a new collaborative partner of ours, called the Our Bible App, which is an app and hub for progressive Christian voices, devotionals, publications, and a whole host of other good stuff. The founder of the app, Crystal Cheatham, is a great human being, and she'll be joining us later this season on Alter Guild. She also hosts a podcast called Lord Have Mercy, so if you get a chance, check out both the Our Bible app and the Lord Have Mercy podcast. So, speaking of podcasts that I love, for this week's episode, I got to sit down with Jamie Crumley and Portia Williams, who are two of my friends from seminary and who are the hosts of the Just Two Pearls podcasts. In their podcast, they talk about faith and life. They talk about being young black women. They talk about the church and academia and mental health and joy and a wide range of other things. They're funny, they're insightful, and listening to them just brings me a lot of joy. Something I love about Jamie and Portia is that in their podcast and in real life, they are so attentive to the identities of the people around them, and they want to hear people's stories about who they are. So I wanted to sit down with the two of them and ask them the same questions. I wanted to know what has shaped them, and who they know themselves to be at their core, and who they are continuing to become in the fullness of who they are. Here's our conversation. Thank you so much for being a loyal Just Two Pearls listener. We appreciate you and we appreciate all of our listeners who we call Pearls. And one thing you might have noticed in both Portia's biography and also in mine is that we are both young Black women who attended uh, women's colleges at a time when, you know, obviously there's so much college choice and college access. And, you know, we could have, I guess, gone anywhere, but we both chose women's colleges for our undergraduate careers. And then we both at quite young ages ended up in a divinity school. And we ended up there both as women who are very steeped in what we feel it means to be black, what we feel it means to be black women, uh, what we feel it means to be Christians who are still unapologetically black women And as we were thinking through our lives and through our careers and through some of our friendships with other young Black women who are accomplished in fields, you know, outside of just religion, um, women who are attorneys and social workers and creators, and we thought about them and we thought about both the world of possibilities that we have right now, but still the limitations that are placed on young women's lives, Um, not just black women, all women of color, um, even white women, um, LGBT folks. And we really wanted to create a space where we could appreciate and celebrate um, young black womanhood, um, being young women of color, being professional women, being professional women who choose to be uh, focused and continue to pursue faith and to be unapologetically people of faith. And so our hope and prayer for Just Two Pearls is that it's a space where people feel unapologetically that they can be themselves, but where they also learn to practice self-care and, as one of our taglines says, to cultivate the pearl within them. 
I think in this world, right, identity is something that we all need to like continuously ask ourselves, like, who are we? Because I think when we ask ourselves that question, it returns us to our core and it brings us back to our root, right? If we are people who are faith believers and we have this idea or this knowledge of we have a creator, right? And so for me, the way I orient myself in the world, I always approach it with the fact that I'm a Black woman, right? And so the world sees me as Black, as woman. Um, I don't necessarily uh, label myself with, um, well, you know, with with a with a sexuality term um, because I feel like sexuality is fluid for everybody, um, whether people believe that or not. <laughs> but that's just my take. And so um, I'm like, listen, I'm Portia. And on top of that, I also consider myself to be someone who is, you know, urban, right? I'm a, I'm a Black girl who grew up in the hood. And so I own that. Um, and I don't apologize for that. And so um, I also see myself as someone who is a preacher, who loves people. Um, I'm pastoral, though I'm not necessarily a senior pastor. Um, I am someone who's very compassionate and loving toward um, her friends, someone who loves her girlfriends. Oh, my goodness. Um, I am someone who loves family. I'm a daughter. I love being a daughter. And I love being a sister as I have a biological sister. I am a dog mom, and I'm proud of that, <laughs> having a fur baby. It's so fun, um, who brings me so much joy. And at the same time, I am everything that God says that I am, and I believe it. And so every time that if God says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, and I am believing in my own orientation that God is then therefore a black woman, then I believe that about myself. And I love that about myself. And if I believe that there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God and that God is love, then it, I have a responsibility to be love at all times. And so love may not always be gentle, but love is always going to be love. And so that is how I like to see myself and I like to live out that all the time. And so, and then of course, um, uh, people tell me, and I'm believing it more and more every day, is that I'm a person of joy, um, just of extreme joy and just of full of joy, right? And what that means, because joy isn't necessarily what contingent upon our happiness, right? It's just something that we have at all times that we live into. And so I'm, I'm leaning and embracing the fact that I am a person of, of joy. And so, yeah, that's me. <laughs> I think when I think about myself, I kind of in part agree with Portia. I'm, I'm Jamie, uh, Jamie D. Crumley. This will be my name forever. Uh, even if I get married, I do announce it. If I have romantic partners, I do announce it. Like FYI, I'm Jamie D. Crumley. For better or for worse. I'm, you know, and if you're with someone more traditional, there are feelings about that. But, you know. If they love Jamie D. Crumley, they're going to love Jamie D. Crumley forever. So that's the way it's going to be. I'm, but yeah, I'm a daughter. I think a daughter of God and a daughter to my parents and an adopted daughter and granddaughter of many people, uh, whether I want to be their adopted daughter or granddaughter or not. <laughs> and that comes with certain joy, and certain responsibilities as well. I'm a person who is politically minded. Uh, I'm not necessarily a person who 
is out in the streets doing activism because that's not necessarily my style. But even right now in terms of kind of shifting off a traditional ministry career path and going into an academic department that really has a political agenda. And I'm realizing more and more with each passing day when I think about my kind of purpose as a minister and as an educator and just as a woman in the world, I make note of the fact that I'm quite political, more political than I would think myself to be. I'm, I am a pearl wearer. This is something that I'm passionate about. I'm a woman who loves, who loves pearls. Uh, I love to cultivate the pearl within me. I'm, I'm a person who likes to move, who likes to dance, who likes to be active. Yeah. And then, of course, I already kind of gave some of my labels earlier. I believe myself to be a Black feminist. I believe myself to be a womanist. I believe myself to be a person who tries to help other people to love themselves and to recognize the potential within themselves, which is why I'm so passionate about educating and especially educating undergraduate students, because I think it's a time when so many people struggle with self-love. I know I did. And yeah, I'm a person who just tries every day to love God and to put God at the center of everything I do. And I don't always think it's easy in this world that pulls us in so many different directions. And when we see things that happen every day that just make us so angry or so happy or so sad, and we just want to immediately react. But I'm a person who really tries to pause and to listen to the voice of God and to allow God to lead me in the direction in which I should go. I'm struck in both of your descriptions of yourself and who you are at your core um, in the similarities and the differences and in the way that you talk about God. Um, and obviously all, all three of us have this background of having studied religion um, and having religion as a part of our lives. Um, and to have God as part of your identity, I think, isn't really a given. I, I don't know how many people I would ask that question of um, and that they would say, yeah, God is God is part of who I am. Um, so I'm curious about that, that piece for both of you. What does it mean and look like in your daily life to have God as a part of your identity, especially if you were describing this to someone who would say like, God is not part of their identity or that that isn't meaningful for them. How would you describe that to them? It's such a challenging question because I feel like my relationship with God has been at the core of who I am for as long as I can remember. Uh, I grew up Baptist, uh, National Baptist, which is a historical Black denomination, African-American denomination in this country. And so one of the things that we tend to do in most um, Black Baptist churches is that at the end of the service, after the preacher has um, finished the sermon, um, they open up the doors of the church. And sometimes when people who are not from our tradition come to church, what that means to them is that they're supposed to get up and leave. <laughs> but that's not actually what that means. That means that if you are interested in joining the church, if you are interested in dedicating your life to serving God, if you just want prayer, you can come down the center aisle of the of the church and you know receive what you need. 
And when I was five years old, um, I also come from a military family. So both my parents were in the army when I was growing up. And so my dad was away in Haiti. And when I was five years old, um, after the sermon, I don't know why, I got up and I walked down the center aisle and I said that I was ready to join the church. And the pastor, of course, is looking at me. My mom is looking at me like, what is this young child doing? Uh, So I get up to the front of the church and the pastor's like, all right, girl, what's going on? (laughs) And I was like, I believe in Jesus. I'm ready to join the church. And so, of course, there were like, you know, a few weeks of questions being asked. And, you know, as they asked more questions, it became more and more clear, like, oh, no, this person is ready. She wants to join the church. Uh, So my dad, of course, was overseas in Haiti. They didn't want to uh, want him to miss me being baptized. Uh, So we waited until he came home and I was baptized then. But it's always just been a part of who I am, has been part of my family life, has been part of my upbringing, just to be a person who follows God. And I think it's really interesting. Like I said, now I'm really passionate about educating undergraduates and definitely going away to college. That was the first time that I would say um, my faith was tested in a big way because it was the first time I had to find my own community of faith. I had to pursue this relationship with God without the aid of having this community of faith around me that I saw every single Sunday, that I saw on weekends when I went to go sing in the choir, that I saw on Friday nights at youth group. And I needed to figure out for myself, what does it look like for me to follow God if I'm not around this group of people who are my community, who I love? And I really, just for me personally, I'm part of the journey back home was womanism. Um, And uh, I'm not sure if you all know this term. We talk about it a lot on Just Two Pearls. Um, A womanist, uh, the coin was termed, uh, the the term was coined by Alice Walker, um, who's, you know, famously the author of The Color Purple and lots of other great novels and books. And she has this four-part definition of the womanist, which I would definitely encourage all of you to um, look into. But after this movement of Black liberation in Black church studies, um, which was very masculinist in its focus, um, in the 80s, a group of Black women who were theologians, their intervention into that field of study was what they called womanism. So womanist ethics, womanist theology, um, people like Emily Towns, people like Stacey Floyd Thomas, um, Ebony Marshall Sherman, who's a professor at um, Yale Kennedy School right now. And... uh, these women really place Black women and Black women's lived experiences at the center of their work. And I think about that sometimes, and I you know, think about that even when I talk to Portia or when I talk to any of my you know, female friends, I think about it as like, even here, even this right now, um, you know, especially for us as Black women who in this country, we've been told that you know, our bodies aren't sacred, that our bodies aren't to be protected. You know, thinking about this current era of the Me Too movement, where so many women are speaking out for themselves. What does it look like for women to get together and to understand that our lives matter, that our lives matter to God, that our lives matter to each other, that we can put ourselves in communities with people, male, female, and gender nonconforming, who understand that our lives matter. And I think God is there. So even for those who aren't interested in the traditional religious understandings of God. Um, I'm not super interested or invested in that at this point in my life either, although I think the church is beautiful. I think church liturgies are beautiful. I think God is definitely in church. 
Um, but God is also so far beyond the limits of the church. God is in our sacred conversations with our friends, even in sacred conversations with people who are not our friends. Um, God is present, you know, in traffic and in the quietness of the morning. God is present in so many different aspects of life. God is present in our sister friends and in our brother friends and in our gender nonconforming friends, that God is there in friendship and um, even in the relationships we have with our animal friends, that God is there. And that's kind of my perspective on that at this stage in my life. And so for me, I came to know God when I learned about Jesus. And I just kept hearing, you know, my grandmother talk about Jesus. She wasn't actually, believe it or not, my family was never big on church going. Like they were not a church going family at all. Um, I went to church with my godmother who would babysit me because my parents went to work. Or I would go to church with my grandmother who only went to church because she felt like it was the right thing to do. Not because she was listening to the sermons, not because she really wanted to hear the music, but because she was afraid of what would happen if she didn't go to church because it was ingrained in her in the backwoods of Monroeville, Alabama, that if you don't go to church, you're going, you know, to fire and brimstone, <laughs> you know? And so I went to church with the two of them, uh, two different churches. One was Amy Zion Church and the other one was the Baptist church that I grew up in. Um, and I still claim as my home church to this day. And so my grandmother, like I said, she was just there, you know, to get a gold star and brownie points. But I would hear the pastor talk about Jesus. And I just couldn't get that name out of my heart. And like Jamie, I joined the church when I was about five or six, baptized at seven. And actually, funny story, the day that we graduated from Yale, is actually the day I was ordained, which was also 18 years to the day that I was baptized. That's a fun fact. Um, but yeah, isn't it cool? Right. And I didn't even know until like I saw my baptism certificate. I was like, wow, look at that. Look at God. But anyway, <laughs> um, it was just in hearing Jesus's name that I just felt that there was something that I could never feel alone with. I felt in good company, that there was this guy named Jesus who was born in a manger, who loved me so much that he was willing to die for me. But not even just that, that he loved me so much that he was willing to challenge the systems that would try to oppress me, my spirit or my body or whatever have you. And what does that social justice look like? So my church growing up was very heavy on social justice. And so understanding that the poor will always be among you was real for me. Understanding that I have a charge that I must keep to care for those who are in need, but not just giving them social services, but critiquing the system that got them there in the first place with social justice. And so understanding Jesus and now as an adult critiquing Jesus, still loving Jesus, but also understanding that Jesus for me is a man who was sinless, but not a man who was necessarily perfect. Now I know that challenges like people's theologies and their beliefs, but that's, but that's real for me. 
Um, as I look through Jesus's experiences with other women, as I look through Jesus's experiences and encounters with other disciples or other people, you know, he, how he meets them on the road and just his interactions to realize Jesus did not come for, to master perfection, but showed us how to live that way we could in, have an encounter and an interaction with God and meet God and then take care of each other in community. And so for me, that's very important. And I believe that God, like I said before, is always with us, just like the Holy Spirit. And God is found within the self. And for me, hearing the voice of God is when I get quiet enough and I can be humble enough to just sit still and listen and be like, okay, God, you are here and witnessing. And part of that process for me has come through journaling. I have known God to show up in my life because I've kept a record. And I can trace God through my life. I may not be able to trace God in the moment. Like I may not be able to right here, right now say, God, where are you? But I can look back over some things in my life and I can look through the pages that I have kept for 16 years. I started journaling when I was 12 every single day. And I can see how God has always been there. I, I love that. Thank you both so much. Those are both really powerful testaments and, um, experiences and stories that have profoundly shaped you and I'm like honored to get to kind of hear your stories um so related to a, a few things you both said I I I heard both of you talk about places in the world and in your lives whether they're physical spaces or sort of you know mental emotional metaphorical spaces that that you feel sacred and valued and that you know that your life matters. And then I heard you both reference spaces and places where um, oppression exists and you can't trust that you will be affirmed or sacred or valued. So I'm curious as you talk about, you know, your identities and who you are and who you are at your core and who you are in the world, are there places or stories or people that come to mind on both ends of that spectrum on, you know, are there places that you feel totally in sync? Like, I know I can go to this place and every part of me will be in sync with that environment and I will feel completely safe and able to be who I am on the one hand. And then are there, there places and spaces in the world where you feel that tension between who you know you are at your core and who the world expects you to be and they're not the same. So maybe start with the first. What What is that space for each of you, the positive in-sync space? Yeah, I think for me, that space, very. I think it varies, right, depending on the season. I think it is wherever... I think that space is wherever I decide to surrender my will to God's will, that I am in that space. And so I don't think it's a physical place. Um, it's when I just own the moment and I allow myself to kind of just say, okay, God. So sometimes it's in the pulpit. Sometimes it has shown up in the application process when I was applying to Yale. Um, it has shown up when I stepped my foot on Spelman's campus for the very first time. Um, and I notice it always shows up in the thing that I say I don't want the most. Or in the spaces where I'm like, God, I don't want that. God, I don't want to do that. And then God shows me, but this is the thing. 
And this is where you're going to flourish. And this is where you're going to be affirmed. And this is where you're going to feel most whole. And God is right every single time. And so (laughs) God has proven me wrong on multiple occasions. So it's not necessarily a place uh, physically, but it's in the space between where I surrender and God fully has the space to be, just to be God all by God's self without my help. And it's glorious. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I guess I would, second that, although I haven't had those exact experiences, but you're right. I do think it is about giving up my own sense of control. You know, I'm a person who is very type A. Portia is so good for me because uh, Portia is very professional and knows her stuff and also is like, Jamie, chill, like this will get done. (laughs) And I need people in my life like that. I'm because I am a person who I am very attached to my own will and my own plans. And it can be really difficult sometimes because it's like, okay, so where is the grace in this plan? Where is the opportunity for something to, in my mind, go awry, but perhaps in the mind of God to be this thing that like opens me up to something I never expected. I love that. Um, so what about the flip side for both of you? What about spaces where you go into them? Again, I mean like physical spaces or just moments. Um, and you feel that tension between who you know yourself to be um, and what your outside environment looks like. And there is, it's, it's not good vibes. Yeah. So I pause because... This is one of those moments where it it becomes kind of sticky. Like when you really want to say the truth, but you're just like, how far can I go with said truth? No, I'm having, Um, yeah, I'm having the same moment, Portia. (laughs) (laughs) No, because we've had these conversations offline, but we very intentionally, I feel like, share very particular (laughs) things on our podcast just because of the you know, like these, these questions, they become very sticky very quickly. And I think, yeah. And I think. And very personal. Yeah. Right. And yeah, you know, telling the truth yeah. about where and they you hit currently are and <laughs> can sometimes be, it can be a dicey situation sometimes, I think. So this is the thing. And I'm just going to go for it. Um, And I'm going to believe grace and mercy, um, you know, will follow me all the days of my life um, because because I'm a black woman and that's just how how it is. Um, (laughs) I'm going to tell myself that. Okay, so here's my answer for real. So for me, that space is and can be the church, uh, specifically in the black church. So in my experience, past and present, ageism, right? And so being someone in leadership, in a senior leadership uh, role, not necessarily the senior pastor, but I'm on like a senior leadership role in terms of I am the youth pastor and I'm also ordained and I am the only other ordained person outside the senior pastor in the company of other associate ministers. And so being 28 
is a challenge sometimes in a congregation that is mostly seasoned. <laughs> and I'm being very generous to say majority over 60. Um, and that sometimes can be some pushback, not necessarily because I'm a woman. I have experienced that in the past, and I will absolutely say that. Now, there are a couple, you know, frumpy dumpies who are like, you know, I will not listen to women, and um, but Reverend Williams, you're all right with me. And it's just like, okay, I shouldn't get this exclusive pass. It's like either you like women or you don't. Um, let's not straddle the fence here. And so that becomes the struggle and that becomes the thing that is hard. It's when I am younger, younger, um, and somehow my voice doesn't have enough authority or even with the children sometimes because I'm younger and the other youth leaders are much older than I am. It's like, oh, but you're like a peer to us. And it's like, no, I'm kind of not. Some of you, I can be your parent. <laughs> and so there, there is that. And so their association has always been that men are pastors and you, the youth pastor, that which we have not had a youth pastor in our church in well over 20 years. And so a whole generation has come and gone since the last time the church has had a youth pastor. And being so young for them, it's just an eye opener. And so that sometimes can be sticky. You know, I really struggle all the time with this idea of kind of safety, what places feel safe, what places feel like we're hindering or masking parts of ourselves. And maybe I'm like taking it to like a, to a theoretical point of view. Um, I think this comes up a lot, you know, in preaching and teaching. Um, and so it's really difficult for me to answer the question because I know, you know, even just to go back to what was just said by Portia there at the end, um, this idea of the subjective nature of everything um, you know, how two people can interact with the same person and come to super different conclusions, how two people can be in the exact same conversation and come to super different conclusions about what happened. And so one thing that I've been working on, even though, you know, some things are blatant sexism, racism, ageism, ableism, um, homophobia, and we have to call them out. I think that's part of the work. And that's where I was going back to earlier when I said, sometimes I talk when I shouldn't and I don't talk when I should. Um, I want to be a person who speaks out when there's racism, sexism, um, ageism, homophobia, ableism, whether it's directed at me or not, because it does happen. Um, but these things are also so systemic. And so it can be difficult sometimes to isolate individual experiences. And it's so it's like in a certain sense, like academic spaces aren't safe, like any places that are institutions that are built, you know, allegedly for the service of humans, but in actuality, for the service of the institution itself, these aren't safe spaces, right? And especially not um, if you're not a white man, <laughs> a cisgender white man, like not built for anyone who's not a quote unquote intellectual, whatever that means, um, cisgender white man. And so it's like so many spaces, even like, you know, I feel safe and I feel close to God when I go for runs and when I go for hikes. And at the same time, I also deal with everyone in my life being like, here's some pepper spray. <laughs> like you want to carry a knife, girl, um, because there's still these ideas, um, some real, some imagined, 
that women are not safe when we walk alone. Sometimes we're not safe when we walk together. That's both real and imagined that that threat exists. And so it's like, while I feel safe and close to God when I'm outside exercising, it's also a space where I'm at like super high risk. And so it's so difficult because it's like to leave the house, to interact with institutions, to interact with people who are ambassadors and bureaucrats of institutions is dangerous space. But I feel like it's still space that I must courageously go into as myself because that's the only way the culture will shift and change, right? And so there's so many problems with the academic world. There's so many problems with churches. Um, So I'm so proud of you all for like showing up every day um, and shifting the culture. And it's the job of people who are oppressed in this world, even though it's like hard and it probably shouldn't be our job but it's our job to keep showing up. And like, like I said, I don't think that that's necessarily fair or just or merciful, but it's like the situation. And so it's such a difficult question to answer because it's so difficult to pin down, like, where's this unsafe space? It's like, well, nowhere and everywhere is kind of my answer to that. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I was gonna ask you, both as you know listening to you talk about those spaces like where is the hope you know (laughs) out of out of those spaces but I actually heard that really crystal clearly in both of what you said that the hope is that we just keep showing up and that the hope is that we just keep being who we are in those spaces and I feel inspired by both of you being who you are you know I mean when I look at you I can say that them being who they are in all of these spaces inspires me to be who I am in all of these spaces. And I've looked at so many other people um, in my life. I mean, I would not be a pastor if I didn't have people who were women who became pastors who I could look to and say, look at her being herself in this space. I could possibly do that too. So I guess I'm just ending on a note of gratitude for you both uh, for showing up and being who you are and living into all of those identities Um, as black women, as children of God, as intellectuals, as preachers. um, I'm so grateful for that. So thank you. To hear more from Jamie and Portia, check out their joint podcast, Just Two Pearls, and Portia's individual podcast, Portionality Podcast on iTunes or wherever you prefer to subscribe. Alter Guild is hosted by Meta Herrick Carlson, Matthew Ian Fleming, Miriam Samuelson-Roberts, that's me, and Derek Transgard, with edits by Matt and Derek. You can visit our website at alterguild.org, that's A-L-T-E-R, and find us on Facebook at Alter Guild and on Instagram at Alter Guild Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes or share this podcast with a friend because as our friends Natalia and Nora at Cafeteria Christian say, that is literally the only way people find out about podcasts. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in next week for a new episode. In the meantime, go in peace, listen, love, serve, and alter.